In the Old Testament, God rained down the fire of judgment on the city of Sodom. According to Trent Griffith, the people of Sodom, they were living what they thought was the good life. They were overfed, underworked, and unconcerned. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like any nation you know anything about? Do you understand you and I are citizens of Sodom and we deserve nothing less than the judgment that fell on Sodom? Do you feel the weight of living in a land that is overfed, underworked, unconcerned, and uninterested in the judgment that God is about to send. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. We've been learning that the Bible isn't just a random collection of stories. In fact, it's just the opposite. The meta-narrative of the Bible, the overarching story arc, can be summed up in four movements, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So the Old Testament character Abraham plays a prominent role in God's plan of redemption. Today, we're going to hear more about how Abraham's faith grew as he matured in his relationship with God. And we'll see what that has to do with you and with me. Let's listen together. Here's Trent Griffith. I've got my Bible open to Genesis chapter 18. How many of you brought a Bible to church this morning? For those of you that don't know, it's highly recommended. And uh, we study it every week. Last week, we started this brand new series called Epic. We're going to march through the epic, legendary, colossal, ancient, ongoing story of our faith, specifically targeting some of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament. And what we learned last week, just by way of review, is this, that the Bible only has one epic story. You understand that? It is a meta-narrative. It's only one story. And what is it? It's the gospel. And then we also learned that every epic story in the Bible is telling the story of who? Jesus. Every place we look in the Bible, on every page of the Bible, we find the story of Jesus. And so we're not just reading the story of Abraham. We're reading the story, the unfolding revelation of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who was the promised one who came through the bloodline of Abraham. So with all of that as background, we've got our Bibles open to to Genesis chapter 18. Today we're going to see four key characters in this story as it unfolds before us. We're going to see a just judge. We're going to see citizens of Sodom. We're going to see a pleading priest and then one more that will surprise you at the end. And so we're going to begin reading here in Genesis 18, beginning in verse one. It says this, and the Lord appeared 
to him, appeared to Abraham. By the way, there are 12 different appearances of God to Abraham as God continues to confirm the promise. He unfolds a little bit more detail every time he appears to him. And so the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heart of in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And he saw them, and he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass me by. A couple of things that we need to understand about this. This was a gracious revelation of God to a man named Abraham. And every time God humbles himself even to have a conversation with one of his creations, it is an act of his grace. It reveals how much he wants relationship with those that he's created. And by the way, he still does that. Now maybe he's not going to appear to you at the door of your tent, um, but he is still in the process of revealing himself through his word, through the spirit. And I have prayed that he would even do that for you and me today, that the Lord would appear, that the Lord would speak. He would call and listen, if he does, you have to respond. Abraham had a choice when these three men appeared, he could either run from them or he could run to them. Some people, when they hear the call of God, you know what they do? They run away. Because they don't want to be confronted with this God who is not like them, is going to make some demands on their life. Abraham ran to them. Now it says there were three men. We're going to find out later something Abraham didn't know at this point. But these were not just ordinary men. These were, these were spiritual beings. One of them, we learn, is actually the Lord himself. This is what theologians call a Christophany. Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament appearing, having a conversation with Abraham. So it's Jesus and two angels with him, and they are on a mission. Now let me just kind of tell you, I'm going to summarize the first half of this chapter here. They're going to reconfirm the promise that was made to Abraham. Do you remember the promise? He said you're going to be a great nation. You're going to be blessed. That was news because up until that point, he had been cursed. God's going to reverse the curse and bless Abraham, even though he's not worthy of the blessing. And then he's going to bless others through Abraham's offspring, which we're going to find out later. Great, 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 and on and on and on. Son, Jesus is going to come through the bloodline of Abraham, and that's how all of us get blessed through Abraham. Well, Abraham doesn't know all of that at this point. We know it because we've got the rest of the book, right? But we're only like 18 chapters into the book. And so Abraham is learning this, and it it comes down to uh, whether or not they believe the promise. Now, Abraham had a wife. What was her name? Remember? Sarah. And how old were these people? The old people, right? Old, old, yeah. You say that because they're older than you. If they're younger than you, like, oh, they're 
85. I'm 86. You're young, you know? So anyway, these people are getting old and we know that Sarah is past her prime. How in the world is God going to get a baby to the world through Sarah? Well, God promises Sarah's listening to this conversation. And in verse 12, she hears that she's going to have a baby in about a year. And look at what she does in verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. Have you ever laughed at God? God does something and he's like, <laughs> no. Uh-huh. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Then look at verse 14. The Lord speaks and says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I don't know what you went through this week. I don't know what you brought in here. It is very possible that that is the word you needed to hear today. Maybe you have some barrenness in your own life. Maybe there is a barrenness of health or a barrenness of financial resources or a barrenness in your relationship with your spouse and you are empty and depleted and it looks like not even God can turn this around. Here's, the, here's what you need to hear today. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And by the way, if you didn't know the answer to that question already, let me just supply it. No, nothing that you are facing is too hard for the Lord. Things you call impossible, God calls easy. He doesn't even break a sweat. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, but there is nothing too hard for the Lord. And so the story turns. Finally, we get to verse 16, and we meet the just judge. And so I want you to notice here, it says, then these men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom. Now, G the topography very much explains that. Again, I was there just a couple of months ago and Sodom sits in the southern part of the Dead Sea, one of the lowest places on earth. And so everywhere you would look, you would have to look down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them and set them on their way. So these three men are going down to Sodom. Verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And so it's almost like he's having a conversation with himself. Should I disclose what's going to happen to Sodom? And by the way, just fast forward a little bit. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you don't know the story, if you read into verse 19, you find out very quickly that the people in Sodom are very far from God and they are very far from godly. And so God is about to send judgment and rain down fire and brimstone on these wicked people in Sodom. And so the story continues in verse 18. Seeing Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Remember, that's part of the promise. Verse 19, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness... And justice. Now remember, not only was Sarah unable to do children, Abraham was unable to do righteousness and justice. 
There was barrenness of children, but there was also barrenness of righteousness. That's why God had to do for him and in him something he couldn't do for himself, namely righteousness and justice. And he goes on, it says, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. He's going to fulfill the promise. Then verse 20, then the Lord said, because of the outcry, underline that word, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. A couple of principles here. First of all, God knows what's going on in every life and in every community. You may think you can hide from God the things that you're not proud of and maybe you want to get away with some things. Listen, he, he knows and he tells us that. And he's going to come down to our lives just like he went down to Sodom to examine what's really going on. And the other thing that we need to understand here is there is an outcry against outrageous wickedness. Now the question is this. What did God hear in the outcry? Whose voice was crying out in Sodom? If the whole place was wicked, who is in there who's giving the outcry that's reaching the ear of God? We're not exactly sure. It could be just be a general outcry that there was injustice and oppression going on. People were being victimized there. People were being taken advantage of. We know that again because of what we read later about Sodom. But I believe there is one particular voice that God heard. And it was the man, Lot. Do you remember Lot? Lot, in this story, is the nephew of Abraham. How many of you have a nephew? Okay. And Lot's father had died. It was almost as if Abraham had brought him into the family and he was treated as a son. We're told in the book of Genesis, there was a point at which Abraham and Lot divided and Lot went towards Sodom. Is kind of weekend in Las Vegas, if you know what I mean. He's like, hey, there's action there, there's fun there, there's partying. And so he had an appetite for those things. And he parked himself in the middle of all of this wickedness. Even though the New Testament tells us, unbelievably, Lot was a righteous man. Somehow he was in favor with God. But at this point, he was backslidden very far from God. He had a relative righteousness, we might say. And we read over in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 2, this statement. Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So maybe it was Lot whose soul was being tormented by what he was seeing around him and the outcry was going up to God. And God heard the outcry and God was going to examine the situation and God was going to act in justice and in judgment towards sin. Make no mistake, folks. Despite what you have heard, 
God is still serious about sin. And God still judges sin. And God still knows about the sin in our lives. Do you know that this truth is something that keeps people from receiving the grace and the love of God? They cannot imagine, and you, if you're a thinking person, have had to think through this situation. How can a gracious, loving God exercise judgment on people and annihilate them in His judgment? How can a gracious and good God send people to eternal conscious torment in hell? You've got to ask that question. But here's even a better question. How can a just God show grace and love and mercy on people who are only worthy of His judgment? Those are questions that we have trouble answering. If you understand this story, God is about to commit genocide on these people. And what we have to understand is this truth. We must, as His people, the creation cannot stand in judgment toward the Creator. He is the judge and we have to accept His judgment. And so we have to accept His verdict. What we want to do is we want to play the role of judge. We want to be judge. We will not allow God to be judge. And that is a wrestling in our human nature. We want to set ourselves up as judge. We even want to judge God. I want to break in here for just a moment and explain that this message was recorded in June of 2017. So keep that in mind as you listen to this illustration from Pastor Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church. Earlier this week, there was a, uh, there was a conversation that took place in the United States Senate. There was a man named Russell Vaught who had been nominated as a potential deputy White House budget director. And so you have to go through Senate confirmation hearings and you're kind of brought before some, some people that ask you some tough questions. Well, this man, Russell Vaught, is a believer in Jesus Christ. He's an unapologetic, bold Christian. He graduated from Wheaton University. He had written some articles, some theological articles, actually defending a statement of faith that that Wheaton has about the the centrality of Christ and the nature of salvation. And, And so he had published these articles. Well, now here he is before the Senate confirmation hearings, and those articles come back up before none other than Senator Bernie Sanders. How do you think that conversation went? Watch this. In the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent, you wrote, Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. End of quote. Do you believe, do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian. And I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, That post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation 
And again, I apologize. I do forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece. Well, what does that say? The statement of faith. Of Wheaton I understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Senator, I'm a Christian. I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned? Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. Now, I don't show that for any political purpose. I show it to show you how much trouble people have wrapping their mind around the concept of how a gracious, loving God could act in justice and righteousness toward sinful people like you and I. Now listen, the grace and the mercy of God has no meaning apart from the justice and the righteousness of God. And what Senator Sanders apparently is unaware of about the gospel of Jesus Christ in understanding that what every Christian believes if they believe the Bible, is this statement found, not illustrated here in Genesis 18, but found explicitly over in Romans chapter 5, one trespass led to condemnation for all men, black men, white men, women, rich men, poor men, old men, young men, Men that put the label of Muslim on their, themselves. Men that put the label of Christian on them. We all stand before the just judge condemned. That is the foundation of the gospel. The question is, is there anything that can be done to divert the judgment and the condemnation of God. And that is the question that Abraham is about to wrestle with. We've met the just judge. Let me introduce you to the citizens of Sodom. Look here in verse 21. Again, it says, actually verse 20, it says, The Lord said because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, it's very great and their sin is very grave. Now, if you know anything about Sodom, you... If, if I ask you, what was the sin of Sodom? What, what was that sin that brought the judgment of God? What, what sin are you thinking of right now? You're probably thinking of the sin of, 
of sexual deviance. Unbridled sexuality is the sin of... We have laws in America that are named after the sin of Sodom. Sodomy. Heard of that? It all came right out of here. And that's what you would think of. But do you know what the Bible says the sin of Sodom is? It may be different than what you think. As a matter of fact, we need to understand in Ezekiel chapter 16, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Listen, she has, and her daughter, she had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, and did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. Now listen, the abomination of sexual sin was the last in a string of sins that started with the sin of pride. Pride is declaring your independence from God. I don't need you. I'm better than that. I'm doing just fine. It's thinking more highly of yourself than God knows you to be. That's the first sin that invites the judgment of God. The second is listed as excess of food, an abundance of food so that you don't sense your hunger. You don't sense your physical hunger. You don't sense your spiritual hunger because you've got more than you need. The third sin is something called prosperous ease. I like the way the King James translate that. It's, it's called the abundance of idleness. They were lazy. They didn't get out of bed. They didn't pursue anything. They didn't have any ambition. They had a sense of entitlement because they were so saturated with stuff. And they didn't even have compassion on the poor and the needy. They were overfed, underworked, and unconcerned. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like any nation you know anything about? Do you understand you and I are citizens of Sodom? And we deserve nothing less than the judgment that fell on Sodom? Do you feel the weight of living in a land that is overfed, underworked, unconcerned, and uninterested in the judgment that God is about to send? We need to feel that weight. We need to turn from that sin. And listen, if you're unconcerned even in hearing that warning, that's the problem. We're haughty. Haughtiness is layers and layers and layers of pride so that our hearts are calloused when God does send the conviction. We need to understand we've got to turn or we're going to face the same judgment of God. We're going to hear the rest of this message next week. That was Trent Griffith reminding us that God is still serious about sin. Next week, we'll see how the mercy of God intersected with his justice and what Abraham's prayer had to do with it. If you'd like to visit Gospel City Church for a worship service, here's how. 
go to mygospelcity.org and click where it says, I'm new here. Read about what to expect when you come, where to bring your children, and things like that. Next, decide on which service you'd like to attend. We have two campuses with multiple services, so there's lots of options. Then, just show up. Tell someone that you heard about Gospel City on Resonate. That would be cool for us to know. Our church is all about the gospel. We heard a lot today about God's judgment, but the beautiful news of the gospel is that Jesus took that punishment that you and I deserved, so we don't have to experience the wrath of God anymore. Again, our web address is mygospelcity.org. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that the gospel would resonate in your heart and in your life this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.